Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Tuesday, the 8th of June, and we're brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty, Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix, also lets you keep your data safe. Check out LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Folks, before we begin, just want to take two minutes here. There is a situation brewing in Ireland over houses that were built during the boom period using a substance called mica, which is basically crumbling dirt. And um, there are houses in the west and northwest of Ireland, in Donegal and Mayo, that are crumbling and falling apart. There is currently a campaign for 100% redress to give people back the money they invested in these houses so that they can probably knock their houses and build new ones. Go online, Google Micah Redress. Go on Twitter, hashtag Micah Redress, M-I-C-A. And you will see the devastation that this has caused to people's homes. I would ask you just to take a moment and just go and see what's happening to people. Especially if you're in Ireland, there are petitions you can sign to get this in front of the government. We've already seen Sinn Féin throw their support behind it. It needs to get into the doll. It needs to be discussed 100%. Not the pittance they've offered them. 100% Micah Redress. Do check that out. Micah Redress. Right. Lots of news to cover from the weekend. Hope you enjoyed yesterday's show, uh, which was the first part of the Premier League preview with myself and Kevin DeVries. The second part will be up later this week on the EPL roundtable feed. News this morning that Nuno Espirito Santo is set to join Crystal Palace after talks intensified between the two. There had been some suggestion that maybe Everton would step in and appoint Nuno. But it looks like he is set to join Crystal Palace. He's coming off a four-year spell at Wolves. The first three were excellent. Got them promoted, back-to-back seventh-place finishes. Last season, something was different. Now, I know Jimenez got hurt. But even before Jimenez got hurt, Wolves didn't seem the same team. They were boring. They hadn't been boring before. They lacked an identity. That hadn't been the case under Nuno. And then we saw Nuno start to mess about with his tactics. Shifting from the back three that had brought them the success to a back four. And it was, to be frank, quite a disaster. He's a good manager. He's a short-term manager. 
you'll get two to three really good years with Nuno. I don't think he's the type that can last somewhere beyond that. I don't think he wants to. And a lot of managers are like that. You see Conte's like that. Mourinho's like that. Nuno's not of their level. But I think the demands he put on his players, the physical nature of the style of play that he wants mean that eventually players start to tune him out a little bit. And I felt that was the case at Wolves. If you've been listening to this podcast all through last season, you will have heard me around Christmas time suggest that it could be Nuno's last year at Wolves. And obviously that turned out to be the case. I think he's an interesting appointment for Palace, but I think it's a big risk for him. Palace are a team in need of a pretty substantial rebuild. If you take a look through their squad, They've got two goalkeepers contracted for next year, Vincente Gaeta and Jack Butland. You'd be pretty happy with that situation. Hennessy and Henderson will both leave. Now, you might want to keep one of them as your third choice just because they both class as homegrown. It might be worthwhile keeping one of them. But other than that, you can always find a goalkeeper to bring in. And it may be that he identifies someone that he'd prefer as a first choice. I'd really like to see Jack Butland get an opportunity At 28, it's do or die for Jack Butland for his career. He's either going to become a good goalkeeper at the Premier League level or he's not. He doesn't have many more years to to muck about. He was really, really promising until that bad ankle injury. He was England's number one. He would likely still be England's number one if not for that ankle injury on which he had surgery, which didn't heal properly and required a second operation. And he's just never really recovered from that. I'd be interested to see how... He fits under Nuno. I think Gaeta stylistically is probably more suited. But again, Nuno might want to bring in somebody else. Traditionally, Nuno plays three centre-backs. Contracted for next year, Palace only have three centre-backs. Czech Coyote, who's actually a midfielder who's been converted. Nathan Ferguson, who's probably more of a right-back in a back four. But in a back three, could be an excellent flanking centre-back. And James Tompkins, who's injury-prone, good when fit, but not fit nearly enough. There's definitely going to be at least one centre-back, you'd imagine, arriving. You could use Jaro Riedeveld there, and I I still think you'd need one. I think if you're going to play three, you need at least five. Ideally, you want six or seven. Ideally, if that's the makeup of your squad, you should always probably have two players for each position. And if you look at that, I mean, Riedeveld could be the central centre-back. So could Coyate. Ball progresses from that role. Ferguson and Tompkins probably more suited to the right-side centre-back role. You could really do with bringing in someone left-footed to play on the left of that back three. Um, At left-back, they've got Tyreek Mitchell. And I think as a wing-back, Jeffrey Schlupp could fit there as well. He played there before for Leicester. So as a wing-back, they're probably sorted on the left. I think losing Van Aanholt's a blow, though, because I do like him. I think he's a good player. They have no contracted right-backs for next season, so that's going to have to be addressed. In midfield, Milivojevic is a quality player. I think Nuno quite like him. Riedevel can also play there. James MacArthur is an option. Jeff Schlupp could play in a midfield three, not so much in a two. So you're going to definitely need reinforcements in midfield. And then up top, Benteke has signed a new two-year deal. I think that's a mistake by Palace. 
I look at him and I see a guy who didn't tr- didn't try very much for two and a half years. And when his contract was about to expire and there were no offers coming in that were going to pay him anywhere close to the money he was on, all of a sudden he turns up. They've given him a two-year extension. And look, maybe it does solve a bit of a problem. You've now got him and Mateta who can be that target man number nine. You've got Ayu and Zaha who can play in the wide roles. You've got Eberichi Ezi who can play in the wide roles as a 10 or in the midfield three. Now, he's going to miss most of next season. And then there's like Zaha. What's going to happen with him? Apparently, he wants out again. Will they have to sell him to fund some of this rebuild? You'd have to imagine if Nuno was going to the club that somewhere along the line, there's been discussions about funding and how much money he's going to have to rebuild this team, which, as I've just been through, needs quite a lot. There's players needed in pretty much every area of the team. Now, the one thing that may happen with Nuno is it may bring a connection to Jorge Mendes, who has been obviously funneling players to Wolves. I don't imagine any of his top players are going to go to Crystal Palace. But if we take a bit of a look lower down the Mendes client list, Rayhan Aitnuri has a bit of an uncertain future. Wolves have an offer to have an option to buy. They may not take it up. Wolves are a little bit short of cash this summer. A lot of talk that they're for sale. So potentially, he might be available. Now, as I said, they already have wing-back options on the left, but he is better than either Schlupp or Mitchell. If you brought him in and had Mitchell as his backup and you could then use Schlupp in midfield, that could be quite beneficial. Uh, Helder Costa, as a depth option in wide roles, maybe not a bad pickup. I think Leeds would be willing to move him on. Ruben Vezos, a decent centre-back from Levante. Diego Concalves from Benfica, solid enough right-back, could be available this summer. Vitinha, who was on loan at Wolves as well, and again, Wolves have a buy option, but he could be a really interesting one. They could get him in on loan with an option to buy. It could be beneficial to everybody. Thomas Estevez, who spent the year on loan at Reading from Porto, he could be one. He's good going forward. He could be very comfortable in the in the setup that Nuno uses. Uh, same goes for Thierry Correa of Valencia, another right wing back. There are quite a few options, especially if they're willing to explore the loan market. Someone like João Carvalho could be interesting. He's obviously been in England before with Nottingham Forest. He's at Almeria now. He's super talented and could be a really a really clever pickup for the right team. There's quite a few players who are contracted to Mendez's agency who would make a lot of sense for Palace to try and pick up either on a short term, like one year loan or a loan with an option to buy or an obligation to buy or to bring in permanently. So do keep an eye 
Diego Costa's name has just popped up there as well. Diego Costa could be really interesting. I think he'd quite like to work with Nuno. I know he liked living in London. He's not anywhere close to the player he was, but he's someone that stylistically could fit what Nuno wants. And if you're putting pace either side of him and limiting how much running you have to ask him to do, he could still be a useful player to have in the Premier League. But it could be interesting to see if Nuno takes that job, will Mendes follow him to Palace? Now, he'll still, I think, have his connections with Wolves because those predate Nuno. He's got a relationship with the owners that dates back a couple of years before Nuno. So potentially, Mendes could play both sides. We already know he tried to get himself in the door at Spurs using Mourinho. He's the one that brought Doherty there. He brought Carlos Vinicius there. So, look, Mendes is Mendes. Is Mendes. He's the most powerful agent in the world. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if Nuno goes to Palace, will Mendes start to have influence and will we see an influx of Portuguese players? Big transfer news over the weekend. Emi Buendia will join Aston Villa when the transfer window opens on June the 9th. A fee in the region of 30 million rising to about 38 with some add-ons. It looked like he was going to Arsenal. Arsenal thought they had a deal agreed for him. Villa just offered him a better deal. The fees are the same. I'd imagine the wages are in and around the same, but the Villa project seemingly was more enticing to him. Maybe it was the guarantee of starting. If you look at the the two clubs and how they're run, Villa have better owners, far more ambitious owners. Villa have a better goalkeeper, a better right-back. Esri Kahn's is better than any Arsenal centre-back. Douglas Louise would start for Arsenal. You've got Jack Grealish. You've got Ollie Watkins. Villa are building something. Villa are going in the right direction. Villa have an identity and an approach that works for them. Whereas with Arsenal, you look at them and you think, do you really have an identity? Do you know where you're going? Do you know what you want to be? It's a big slap for Arsenal to lose out on a player to Aston Villa. With respect to Villa, who are a big club, your Arsenal football club, if you have this deal in hand, you should get it done. But this is Edu. This is Edu's inability to close deals properly. This is Arteta and inability to sell the project. Buendia will be a lot of fun at Villa. Obviously, there's a lot of talk that they're spending the Jack Grealish cash. I don't know that that's necessarily true. I think people should take a look at who owns Aston Villa. They have the third richest ownership group in the Premier League. After City and Chelsea, it's them. So I don't think they need to sell. I don't think they want to sell. Now, I think if they get offered 100 million, they'll consider it strongly. But I've seen some suggestions they could take 60, 70 million. Now, for me, that's still that's overpaying for Jack Grealish. But for them, they won't take that money. I think Jack Grealish is probably a 50 million pound player. Ending over that's a little bit, a little bit pricey. I think you have to play a specific way to get the best of Grealish. I think everything sort of has to run through Grealish. He's not a very effective player off the ball. He's certainly not a good player out of possession. He's an odd fit for Man City, if, if that's where he goes. 
he'd be a really odd fit at United if he went there with Bruno plus Rashford and Pogba both preferring to play from the left. I mean, they could shift Rashford to the right, but he doesn't like playing there and he's not nearly as effective. City, is he? he's not, he's not a better winger than Sterling. He's not a better player than Sterling. This was the best season Jack Grealish has had and he missed half of it and wasn't good for a bunch of games. He had 14 or 15 really good games and that was it. That's the best season of his career. Sterling, two years in a row before this season, obviously, was one of the top five or six players in the league. Sterling consistently performs for City. Rarely gets injured. You've already got Phil Foden, you've got Gundogan, you've got De Bruyne, you've got Bernardo Silva, than Jack Grealish. So I don't know if that move makes sense for City, but if Pep is set on him, so be it. But I think he'll stay. And if you look at how this Villa team could be made up, they need a centre-back to replace Mings. Everybody's aware of that. They've got cash, they've got target, two good full-backs. Really good goalkeeper Martinez, really strong centre-back in Konza. Really good defensive midfielder in Douglas Luiz. Get that Mings replacement right, and you're going to have one of the best defences in the league. John McGinn, absolutely solid next to Luiz. In a year, maybe, once you get into Europe, you might look to upgrade on John McGinn, and then he becomes a really good squad player. Grealish is a 10, Buendia from a wide roll. The question is, what do they do next? Because they've got Watkins, who's obviously played as a striker the last couple of seasons, one for Villa, one for Brentford. Scored a lot of goals for Brentford, scored goals for Villa, but did have that big barren spell. There's got to be questions over whether or not he's a 20-goal-a-season Premier League striker. Because I think Villa will need that. Because Grealish isn't a big goal scorer. Buendia isn't a big goal scorer. I know he scored a bunch in the Championship last year. But his best Premier, his only Premier League season, he scored one. He's only actually played two seasons of top-flight football in his career. Both seasons, he scored one goal. Now, at Hatafe, he only played 17 or 18 games in that year. But still only scored one goal. 35 games, I think, the last time he was in the Premier League, one goal. Grealish, I think six is his Premier League best. Eight in all competitions. There's not enough goals there. You're not going to get a whole bunch of goals from Louise. McGinn will get you goals, but not he's not going to get you 10 or 12. You're not going to get many goals from defence. So I think they either need to buy a striker and move Watkins into a wide role or buy a goal-scoring wide player and keep Watkins up front. You have that player. Now, I know they brought Bertrand Traore in the hope that he would be that player. And maybe in a second season, he will kick on. Maybe we'll see more, more goals, more production from Bertrand Traore. El Ghazi, he doesn't offer a whole lot more than goals. Traore had seven last season in his first year, which is decent. He had 13 in his first year with Leon, and then that declined each year. He did score 13 in 29 games for Vietas Arnhem when he was on loan there from Chelsea. If he could get 10 to 12 goals, that would be, that would be huge for them. 
And then Traore, Grealish, Buendia with, with Watkins up front, especially if Watkins can kick on to another level. That could be your front four. You've got the double pivot in midfield. There has been some suggestion over the weekend that Villa's next target is James Ward-Prowse. So that would therefore likely mean a 4-3-3 or a 4-3-2-1. Ward-Prowse, Douglas Louise, John McGinn as a midfield three, which is really nicely balanced. Grealish and Buendia behind Watkins, or Buendia to the right, Watkins to the middle, and Grealish on the left. Now, to me, again, that doesn't have enough goals in it. Ward-Prowse will get you some goals, but he's not a huge goal scorer, especially from open play. Why Ward-Prowse would make sense is that both Buendia and Grealish win a ton of free kicks. Grealish, I think, was the most foul player per 90 in the Premier League the last two seasons. Buendia always wins a lot of free kicks. So Ward-Prowse, from that respect, would make sense. However, if you look at the Villa team, it's not exactly a huge team. Konza's six foot six one. Watkins is six one ish, six two maybe. But he's not brilliant in the air in terms of heading for goal. He's great at winning his duels. He's great at flick ons and things like that. But heading on goal is not a strength of his. Certainly wasn't this past season. Mings is by far the tallest player they have, but he's not good enough. Mings is a poor centre back. And his position in the England squad is laughable. So while Ward-Prowse would make sense because they'll get a lot of opportunities from set pieces, Villa from set pieces this past season, worst team in the league, at least, at best, bottom three. I think they scored twice from set pieces, from, from corners this year. I could be wrong on that. And it's not like Grealish doesn't have good delivery. It's not like McGinn doesn't have good delivery. They already had good set piece takers. I think they may look to bring in another attacking player and then bring in that centre-back. I'm assuming they'll bring in a centre-back. They may not. If they don't, they won't reach their they won't reach their uh, their goals. They just won't. They won't get there. You're not getting top seven, top eight with Tyron Mings. If you had... Man City's team around him or Liverpool's team around him you could do it or Chelsea's team around him but with the players Villa have you need everybody performing you can't afford to carry anybody and they have to carry him this season Buendia is a good signing he's a very talented player I'm a little bit surprised Norwich sold him but I assume that was the agreement they made with him when they went down last time Get us back up and you can go. They've been linked with Mateus Pereira from West Brom. Now, I think Pereira is going to cost a similar amount. And I don't see West Brom, I see Norwich uh, spending that type of money. Rumours today that they were in talks with Josh King, whose wage demands are just above what they're willing to pay. So you have to ask, what are Norwich going to do this season? And what happens now with Max Ahrens and with Todd Cantwell? Will they keep both of them? Cantwell wanted to leave last summer, had a big falling out with Daniel Farke, kind of screwed his first half of the season, did settle things down, had a good second half of the season. Aaron's just went about his business. Wasn't quite as good as he had been, actually wasn't anywhere close to as good as he was the first time he was in the championship where he was probably the best player in the league. 
uh, the first time they came up. But if they're not going to back Farca and if they're going to continue to sell his best players, we might as well pencil Norwich in for a return trip to the championship. You can't come up again and not be as not be any way ambitious. The, la- the last time they were in the Premier League, it was a shambles how little ambition they showed. Net spend of about six million. Dreadful. You can't you cannot do that. This league is too unforgiving. Arsenal have been linked with Julian Brand as a potential alternative target. Makes sense. Brand needs to get out of Dortmund. It hasn't really worked from a Dortmund. Very talented player. Can play wide, can play in a midfield three as an eight, can play as a ten. He's a similar type of player to Smith Rowe. So there might be a little bit too much crossover there. But it depends on what their plan is for Smith Rowe. Is he going to be an every game starter next season or is he going to be a squad player? Someone that they continue to develop. I think he should be an every game starter. I think he's a huge part of their future. But who knows with Arteta? We've seen foolishness since day one in terms of his squad management. We saw a whole bunch of it this past season. In good news for Arsenal, it looks like Granit Xhaka is on his way to Roma for a fee in the region of £20 Now, he'll be better in Serie A than he has been in the Premier League, but £20 is still too much for him. But for Arsenal, it does uh, represent a £15 million loss on what they paid Brussie Munch and Gladbach for him. Now, I've seen some statos suggest that, you know, he's Arsenal's best player in terms of ball progression and all these type of things. From people that, with respect, this fellow doesn't watch football. If he thinks Arsenal will miss Granit Xhaka, he hasn't been paying attention. Arsenal finished second. The summer they signed Granit Xhaka. As an aside, they were N'Golo Kante's preferred destination when he knew he was leaving Leicester. They wanted him, he wanted them. And they backed out of the deal over agent fees. In the end, they paid more money for Granit Xhaka than they would have had to for Kante. They went from second to fifth to sixth, to fifth, and now back-to-back eighth-place finishes. The only thing he has been key in is their drift into mediocrity. That's the only thing Granit Xhaka has been important to, is making Arsenal bad. And getting rid of him is absolutely key. Clearing out the deadwood and the dross is absolutely what Arsenal need to be doing. They've done a pretty good job of it so far. Mustafi, Socrates, Kalasinic, Osul, getting rid of high-earning players at David Luiz, high-earning, underperforming, underproducing players. And Granit Xhaka is the next one. Just get rid of him. Then turn your attention to Bernard Leno and get rid of him. And yes, it may cause you a little bit of pain over a year or two as you rebuild, but that's what a rebuild is. You're not going to go down. You're too good to go down. You might miss out on Europe. You've just missed out on Europe anyway. They've been linked to Ruben Neves to come in as a replacement for Xhaka. And I've seen Arsenal fans say that's not an upgrade. Yes, it is. Much better defensively. 
much more intelligent, better passer of the ball. Ignore the passing stats thrown out by people who work for the Athletic and look at the style of play Neves has been involved in. One of the reasons that his progressive passing numbers aren't what they should be is because of who he plays in midfield with and who he was playing playing in midfield for and what Nuno was asking him to do. But Ruben Neves is an elite-level passer of the ball, substantially better than Granit Xhaka. And what he will do is he will enable Thomas Partey to be freed up to be the ball-progressing carrier while he sits and dictates from midfield. That, as a pairing, is really strong. If you get Neves, you can move on Torreira. Now, they look like they're going to move on Guendouzi as well. I think that's a mistake. I would be keeping him. I think him as a backup to Neves, as long as his attitude is okay, and I have no reason to think it won't be, just give him a couple of slaps around the head, tell him to settle himself down. I think he'll be fine. Maitland-Niles and Guendouzi as backup midfielders to Partey and Neves, that's a really strong unit. Really, really strong midfield unit. There's some talk that they could sell Joe Willock again. I think that's a mistake. I think Joe Willock can play central midfield or he can be a backup in the number 10 role where Emil Smith-Rowe should be playing. Find yourself a right back before you worry about midfield. Get Neves, fine. If you want Neves, fine. I think Torreira is absolutely good enough. And I think Torreira and Thomas Partey could be a really good pairing. But if you want Neves, that's absolutely fine. But stop worrying about things you don't need. And stop worrying about losing Granit Xhaka. It's the right move. England beat Romania over the weekend. And obviously there was some controversy. Uh, Jordan Henderson, his first game since February. Comes on at halftime. Is handed the armband when Marcus Rashford, who was the captain on the day, goes off. England win a penalty. Calvert-Lewin wins it. Calvert-Lewin picks up the ball. He wants to take it. And Henderson, for reasons known only to him, pulls rank and misses. Which is not a surprise because Jordan Henderson's not a good penalty taker. What was a surprise was Henderson actually wanting to take the penalty and forcing the situation. That's bad leadership. That's very, very bad leadership. From somebody we hear is the greatest leader of all time. That's atrocious leadership. He said after the game he wasn't all that bothered. Well, Gareth Southgate was bothered. The fans were bothered. And Dominic Calvert-Lewin was bothered. So whether he's bothered or not is, is irrelevant. This is the same lad who had a tantrum when Marco Balotelli, sorry, Mario Balotelli, took the ball off him to take a penalty. Mario Balotelli, at the time, arguably the best penalty taker in the world, taking the ball off Jordan Henderson was a good thing. Jordan Henderson taking the ball off Dominic Calvert-Loon is not a good thing. That's a downgrade in your penalty taker. It's arrogance. It's pulling rank. It's poor leadership. There's questions over whether he should even be in the squad, given he's clearly not fit. Doesn't look anywhere close to fit. Hasn't played a game in four months competitively. 
And Roy Keane nailed it when he said people say they just want him around. Why? Does he do card tricks, tell jokes? This idea of just having him around because he's a leader is nonsense. Absolute nonsense. There's more than enough leaders in the squad to make up for it. Now, if he's fit, fair enough. But he didn't look fit against Romania. We'll see. We'll see how he works out. I'd be surprised if he starts the first game. Based on that, on how he looked there and the lack of training he has behind him, I'd be surprised if he starts the first game. Bit of controversy before the game where the moron front were out and booed players taking a knee. And then we got all the normal sources coming out and saying, oh, but it's, it's a Marxist movement. Let, let me just be really clear on this. Harry Kane is not a Marxist. Marcus Rashford is not a Marxist. None of these players are Mar Marxists at all. None of them are Marxists. They're not these secret gang of socialists plotting to overthrow the world's rich elite while becoming members of the rich elite. Taking a knee long outdates the BLM movement. And the phrase Black Lives Matter means far more than the BLM movement. The people booing are booing for one reason and one reason only. Racism. Because they don't believe that Black Lives Matter. That's why they're booing. And they can say whatever they want. And when Nigel Farage is the type of person who's coming out in support of fans being allowed to boo, you know it boils down to racism. And when Nigel Farage and the same morons that we see time and time again are coming out with this, it's a Marxist movement, nonsense. You don't need to look any further than what's right in front of your face. Racism is what causes people to boo. Nothing else. Kevin De Bruyne will join the England squad, oh, sorry, the England squad, the Belgium squad. Uh, he has undergone a minor surgery on his facial injuries, and it looks like he will wear a mask, uh, Phantom of the Opera style, for the competition. Their first game is the 12th of June. Now, he is a doubt for that one, but he should be back after that. City dominated the player, the, the Premier League awards and the PFA awards. Kevin De Bruyne was named PFA Player of the Year. Ruben Diaz had won the Premier League Award and the Football Writers Award. De Bruyne wins this one. Now, De Bruyne is more deserving than Diaz was. However, he shouldn't have won the award. The two best players in the league this season were Harry Kane and Ilkay Gundogan. Harry Kane scored the most goals, had the most assists, and Gundogan was the best player in the best team. And neither of them won a single award. Kane got the, gold, the golden boot and the assist award, whatever it's called. But neither of them got any player of the year award. Phil Foden swept the board for young player. He had a really good season. But he didn't have as good a season as Mason Mount. 
Like, let's put it into context. Phil Foden was part of a great team. Mason Mount, for half a season, carried a bad team and then was a really important part of a good team. The PFA award is based on domestic football. In the Premier League, Mason Mount, sorry, uh, Phil Foden played 1,612 minutes across the Premier League season. Mason Mount played almost 2,900. Almost 1,300 minutes more than Phil Foden. He may not have won a Premier League. He may have lost in an FA Cup final. But Mason Mount, across the season, was better than Phil Foden. Now, Foden is a more talented player. And at his best, Foden is definitely better than Mount. But from September when the season started till May when the season ended, there was no better young player than Mason Mount. None. And he should feel rightly robbed of his award. Pep winning a clean sweep of the manager's awards is a nonsense. If he hadn't won the league, he would have deserved to be sacked. To win that league is the easiest thing he's ever done in his life. Liverpool fall apart. Chelsea are a mess half the season. United are managed by a PE teacher. Spurs are a mess. Who was there to challenge them? Little or no injury problems all season. Nathan Aki, the only player to miss time with a long-term injury. Nathan Aki, the fourth-choice centre-back. Had all his players all year long. If he hadn't won the title, he would have deserved the sack. These awards are bizarre. I think oftentimes players and fans just vote for someone who's won something, won a title, won whatever. For Kane and Gundigan to get overlooked the way they did is a joke. For Mount to get overlooked. And for Moyes and Bielsa to not, for one of them not to win manager of the year. Moyes with a team that almost got relegated last season was tipped by many, including me, but you know, what do I know? to get relegated this season. Bielsa, for his first season in the Premier League, leads the newly promoted team to get a Premier League points record for a newly promoted team and finish ninth. They're far greater achievements than Pep winning the league with his billion-pound squad with no competition. Far greater achievement. Christian Fuchs has left Leicester and... uh, He's gone to join Charlotte FC, a new MLS expansion team. Obviously played a big role in their 2016 Premier League title. Big part of their their culture over the last few years. Uh, known as a, as, you know, a vocal player on the training ground. Has obviously had a more limited role in recent years. The development of Ben Chilwell put him into a defense, into a, a backup role. And even then when Chilwell left, Others came along and Fuchs just played as a squad player. But walks away with a Premier League medal and an FA Cup winner's medal in his pocket and can be rightly proud of what he accomplished at um, at Leicester City. 
Ben White has been called up to the England squad to replace Trent Alexander-Arnold in yet another bizarre move by Southgate. Uh, Southgate was impressed with White's performances in the in the pre-Euro Championships warm-up games. So he impressed in friendlies. Let's ignore the season he had. Let's ignore the fact that there were two better-performing centre-backs at his own club. Let's ignore the fact that Ezri Konza was better. Let's ignore the fact that Fikayo Tomori was better. Ben Godfrey was also in the squad. And he got left out. Ben Godfrey's a better defender than Ben White. He's far more versatile than Ben White. He can play centre-back, holding midfield, right-back and left-back. White can play sort of centre-back and he can play a little bit as a defensive midfielder. He can't defend. He's a really good ball player. He's a really good passer from the back. He's really good at carrying the ball, but he can't defend. And he's poor in the air. And if England end up relying on him, I think they're going to be in trouble. Their centre-back group was already a disaster. Maguire, we don't know if he's going to be fit. Stones is error-prone all the time. Had a good season for City. But even then, he had some absolute stinkers. And his form towards the end of the season was atrocious. And did you see him in the Champions League final? Like, I've seen people criticise Zinchenko and Diaz for Chelsea's goal in the Champions League final. I would beg you, go and look at what John Stones does in the build-up to that goal. Just go and look at what he does. Connor Cody can't defend. Can't play in a four. Did it for Wolves this season. Disaster. Ming's awful. And now Ben White. Stones and Maguire are the starting pair. And it's not even close. The rest of them aren't even on the same planet as those two. And those two aren't brilliant. Neither of them is world class. Neither of them is a top five centre back in the Premier League. But they're England starters. In front of Jordan Pickford probably. I don't know. A mess. An absolute mess. Uh, Ilan Melier of Leeds will not play for France at the Summer Olympics Olympics due to the proximity to the start of Leeds' season. Uh, shame for him because I think he would have done well at the Olympics. I think it would have been a great opportunity for him. But I think it's a very, very mature decision for him to say that he couldn't afford to be away for a month before the season starts because he doesn't want to risk losing his place. He doesn't want to lose momentum. And obviously he wants to stay in Bielsa's good books. Morecambe have appointed Stephen Robinson, formerly of Motherwell, as their manager on a new three-year contract. Derek Adams, who'd led them to promotion, resigned and has taken over at Bradford, which to me is a strange move. Now, I know Bradford is a bigger club than Morecambe, but he's just gotten Morecambe from League 2 into League 1, and he is now dropping back into League 2 himself. Um, big job on at Bradford. They've had a very, very difficult, what, 15 years or so? How long is it since, they were, since they're out of the Premier League? Um, they've had a rough time, a very, very rough time. Lots of financial issues, some issues with the stadium. What year were they last in the Premier League? Oh, it's much longer than that. 
They they dropped out of the Premier League 20 years ago. 2000, 2001. They were in League One for six years. Sorry, they were in Division Division One, what's now the Championship, for three years. Then they dropped into League One. Spent three years there, got relegated. Six years there, got promoted. Six years there, got relegated. And now two years in League One. It's a big, big job. It's a great club. Bradford's a great club. And an underrated city as well. Um, but, yeah, that's a strange move. I I think that's a strange move. I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have thought that would have been more appealing to Adams at this point, given how well he's done at Morecambe after a good spell at Plymouth. I I thought he would have gone to the to League One for a year with Morecambe, and then he probably would have had better jobs on. Yeah, it is what it is. On he moves. Um, the well, do you know what? I'll take a quick break, and when I come back, there's a. A little bit of silliness from the CIES Football Observatory, and then we'll wrap up with the gossip and get gone for the day. Right, welcome back. So, as I said before the break, uh, the CIES Football Observatory, who, I mean, they're a research group, a bit of a think tank, uh, think, think tank. Jeez, I can't say words today. Um, they have put together the list of the most valuable players in the world. Number one, Phil Foden. £163 million, apparently. Number two, Mason Greenwood, £153 million. Number three, Marcus Rashford, £137 million. Number four, Erling Haaland. 134 million. Number five, Bruno Fernandes, 132 million. Number six, Frankie de Jong, 119 million. Number seven is Pedri, 114 million. Alfonso Davies is eight, 113. Joe Felix is nine, 110. And Mason Mount is 10th. On 106 million. So let's just delve into this a little bit. These people are trying to tell us that Manchester United own three of the five most valuable players in the world, that four of the ten most valuable players in the world are English, that none of those four English players are Jaden Sancho or Trent Alexander Arnold. That Kylian Mbappe isn't one of the 10 most valuable players in the world. That Barca, who are an absolute dumpster fire, have two of the 10 most valuable players in the world. And that Joe Felix, who has disappointed, now he hasn't been been bad, but he's disappointed since going to Atletico Madrid, has gone up in value. That Erling Haaland... (laughs) is only the fourth most valuable player. Now, I can see an argument for leaving out Mbappe 
because he's only got one year left on his contract. But so has Pedri. Pedri only has one year left on his contract. Now, Barca do have an option to extend it for two years. But I'm sorry, there's just no argument to be made that Pedri is more valuable than Kylian Mbappe. There's no argument to be made that any of these players are more valuable. Nobody in their right mind would ever pay 106 million for Mason Mount or 132 million for Bruno Fernandes or 137 for Rashford or 153 for Greenwood or 163 for Foden. And something against those players, all 10 of those players are really from, go from really good to great. But the valuations are absolutely insane. Ederson, second choice for Brazil, is the most valuable goalkeeper at 53.2 million. He's not a top five goalkeeper in the world. Ruben Diaz is the most valuable centre-back at 97.9 million. You must be absolutely out of your mind. Now, they've done stuff like this before. And every time they do it, it's laughable. They use a range of variables, including players' age, performance, economic value of their club, and inflation to work out an estimated transfer value. It's nonsense. Absolute. You might as well use transfer market. Speaking of transfer market, transfer market have Phil Foden rated at 72 million. And Mason Mount at 67.5. Those are far more realistic. Pedri at 63. They're far more realistic than these outlandish, nonsensical, made-up things that the football observatory... I'd love to know who funds such an endeavour. Mason Greenwood, transfer market have rated at 45 million. That's low. He's definitely worth more than that. Marcus Rashford, 76.5. I think that's about fair. I think it's about fair. Erling Haaland, 99 million. Seems fair enough. Phil Foden at 163 million. It's absolutely ridiculous. The most valuable player in the world. Please. Please. Don't insult people's intelligence with this tripe. Um, Ginny Wijnaldum is set to join Paris Saint-Germain on a free transfer, having left Liverpool. It did look like he was going to join Barcelona, but PSG have swept in with a nice big offer. Now, it appeared that the fee he was going, the figure he was going to go to Barca for was in and around €4 million Euro per year net which is about 70 grand a week. Great British pounds net after tax. Which before tax is about 130 uh, 130,000 a week. So he was willing to go to Barcelona for 130 grand a week. I have to assume he was willing to take similar money at Liverpool. Which means Liverpool lowballed him. 
That's 20 grand a week less than James Milner earns and has earned for the last six seasons. Ginny Wijnaldum is a better player than James Milner has ever been, has been far more important to Liverpool than James Milner, was earning half of what James Milner was earning. And yet Wijnaldum is leaving and Liverpool have another year of 150 grand a week to Milner on the books. So for anyone that suggests he left for money, you're talking out of your backsides. He might be going to PSG for money. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? If they've offered him double what Barca were offering him, he'd be a fool to turn it down. This is his last big contract. He's earned great money as a footballer. Let's not let's not pretend otherwise. He was earning great money at Feyenoord and PSV, let alone what Newcastle and Liverpool have paid him. But he's been underpaid in comparison to his teammates while at Liverpool. He is the most used midfield player under Jurgen Klopp. And after Fabinho, he's the second most important midfield player of the Klopp era. He's available every single game. He plays absolutely every position. He's played centre-back. He's played as a false nine in the Champions League semi-final. He's been used as an attacking midfielder, a defensive midfielder, or that in-between role, which he made his own. Get every penny you can, Ginny. Get absolutely every penny you can. And I saw some people criticise the move. Oh, but he could have gone and played with Messi. Right. At a club that's a dumpster fire, with a manager who doesn't know if he'll still be there in six months, with a billion quid in debt, a team that's not going to challenge for the Champions League, even with Aguero, Depay, Eric Garcia, they're not going to challenge for the Champions League with that squad. Not a hope. And Messi is declining. He has already declined from what he was. He's still incredible. But he's not the player he was. So he's going to get worse. Griezmann is declining. Aguero is declining. Sergio Busquets is declining. Gerard Piquet is declining. They've got Frankie. They've got Pedri, they've got Ansu Fati, they've brought back Emerson Royale from Real Betis, they've got Terstegen. Outside of that, I don't know that there's a whole lot you'd want any part of. Trinkier is very talented, hasn't really worked so far at Barca. Usman Dembele is super talented, but I think he's going the Paul Pogba route. He'll be a great talent, not a great player. Alba's declining. Clement Legnet is average. Barca are a club going nowhere. PSG, on the other hand, Mbappe is still improving. Verratti's in his prime. Neymar's in his prime. Marquinhos is in his prime. Looks like they may well sign Donnarumma. They're looking to bring in Hakimi. They're looking to bring in Teo Hernandez. That's a team on the up. They want to keep their manager. They've just insisted that Pochettino stay and triggered an extension in his contract. They're going to compete for the Champions League every single year. They don't have a billion in debt. They've got maybe the richest owners anyone has outside of Man City. 
potentially even richer. Why wouldn't you join that team? Why would you go anywhere else if you had that option? And it's the French League, which means it'll be physically easier on his body. He probably won't have to play every game because of the squad they've got. Paris, not a bad place to live. Might not be as nice as Barcelona. It's not bad. I'm happy for Ginny. I really am. He has been absolutely essential to everything Liverpool have done for five years. And I'm glad to see him go and get his. We'll wrap up with the gossip. There's quite a bit to get through. Uh, Pep Guardiola wants to sign Jack Grealish. Wanting and getting are two different things. Manchester United are edging closer to a deal for Borussia Dortmund winger Jadon Sancho after the asking price fell to 80 million plus add-ons. That's by the Times. Subscription required to read this insight, which isn't true. Dortmund haven't dropped the price to 80 million on add-ons. They may accept 85 million plus add-ons. They're not going to accept 80 million on add-ons. The official word, word coming out of Dortmund is that there's been no communication between Manchester United and Dortmund. But all of this spin is coming from the United side. Same stuff we saw last year. And we've seen they've agreed personal terms. They're close to agreeing personal terms. They're confident they can agree personal terms. Sancho wants to move. Sancho dreams of the move. Sancho's keen on the move. Sancho's open to the move. All these different conflicting reports, little minor details different here and there, everybody getting fed little stories directly out of Manchester United. Nothing to suggest they're any way close or that that's Sancho's preference. The other thing to consider here is that Sancho is much better off the left than he is off the right. United want him to play on the right. So they're not going to get the best out of him. At all. He also needs a fullback that he can link up with. United play Aaron Wan-Bissaka at right back, who's awful going forward. And Luke Shaw at left back, who's not awful, but not great going forward. Neither of them are Hakimi or Rafael Guerrero. When Sancho played on the right this season, with Mounier behind him, he was awful. Dreadful. When he went to the left with Guerrero, he was different class. Cristiano Ronaldo is exploring his options this summer despite being in talks with Juventus over his future at the club. I would imagine those talks are, please leave. Please leave, go somewhere else, take your big, you know, big wages and go elsewhere. We don't want you anymore. Uh, if Ronaldo does leave Juve, Gabriel Jesus is top of the list, along with Dusan Vlahovic of Fiorentina and Mauro Icardi of Paris Saint-Germain. Icardi would be interesting. Icardi and Dybala would be fun to see. Vlahovic is obviously, I think, on the list for a lot of teams. Gabi Jesus... I mean, I could see it. I think he'd do well in Italy. 
But I saw a report yesterday which says that City value him at £70 million. Pounds. 70, if City thought he was worth £70 million, he wouldn't be available for sale. If City thought he was £70 million, they wouldn't be looking at Harry Kane. So I think he ends up either staying there. I think he'll st- Actually, I just think he'll stay there. I just don't see anyone coming in from Not if they're going to be asking silly money. Chelsea have opened talks with Borussia Dortmund over a move for Erling Haaland. Uh, this is from the mail, which means we can put it firmly in the bin alongside the insights of Jan Agafjortoft, who is a spoofer. Um, spent all last summer peddling tales of Sancho to United, trying to fit in with Romano and Falk and the rest of the spoofers. Um, Everton have interviewed Nuno Espirito Santo about succeeding Carlo Ancelotti. No, they haven't. That's from Football Insider, which is a, a, definitely a blag account. Um, Nuno has only been in London for the last week. That's widely reported. And he is only interviewed for the Palace job. He's been in talks with Palace every day. So when did Everton interview him? Did they ever interview him by phone? Brighton hoped to hold off interest for, for Ben White from the likes of Manchester United, Arsenal, Liverpool by f- putting a 50 million valuation on the 23-year-old. Anyone that pays 50 million for him needs to be taken outside and, and shot. Um, Arsenal, have, uh, sorry, Atalanta have set a 52 million pound price on Christian Romero. See, that's a 50 million pound centre-back. Now, he's on a two-year loan, which they have an obligation to buy at the end of, or an option to buy, maybe? I think it's an option to buy. Um, I think it's 20 million. They can take up this summer or next. He is excellent. Juventus are incredibly foolish to have let him slip out of their grasp because him next to the Ligt for the next decade would have been sensational. Uh, PSG are closing in on the signing of Gigi Donnarumma. Juventus want to make Alvaro Morata's loan deal from Atletico Madrid permanent. I would imagine Atletico Madrid also want them to make it permanent very quickly. Newcastle want to beat Southampton to the signing of Hamza Chowdhury. Um, makes sense for Southampton. They need another depth option in midfield. Don't really think he makes sense for Newcastle. Again, it's Football Insider, so again, likely to be spoofing. Uh, when you see who's behind that, I, I think spoofing is is absolutely the, the, the number one aspect of, of that website. Um, Scott Parker could be tempted to quit Fulham to become manager of Bournemouth. That would be a disastrous appointment by Bournemouth, in my view. That club needs a rebuild. He's not the man for that. Um, but, you know, it, it, he'll go. He'll end up somewhere. He'll get a job because he's Scott Parker. He did well in the championship. West Ham and Aston Villa are keen to sign Chris Wood, while Everton are monitoring the 29-year-old while they wait the appointment of a new manager. Uh, he'd be a good backup to Calvert-Lewin. He'd be a good squad player for any of them, to be fair. But I think he'll want to go somewhere and start. So in all likelihood, he stays where he is. Uh, West Ham have reached the agreement, an agreement to sign 19-year-old French midfielder Pierre Equa from Chelsea. Don't know anything about him. Chelsea, uh, Aston Villa are favourites to sign 16-year-old central defender Josh Feeney from Fleetwood in the summer. They face competition from Manchester United for the England under-16 captain. He's meant to be very, very good. 
But see, this is the problem with, with what happened with the uh, the changes in the youth system in that they're only going to have to pay a small amount to bring him on board. Now, he's also eligible for Scotland, and Scotland were very keen to get him. But Fleet would have put a bit of time and effort into developing him, and now one of these Premier League clubs will just come along and take him away for a minimal fee, where they really should be having to buy the player properly uh, and pay something resembling a real market rate for him. But meant to be very, very talented. Um, and obviously, you know, captain of the England under-16 team is, is quite impressive. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain chief executive Nazir Al-Khalifi says the French Giants will never sell Kylian Mbappe. He, they also said, he also said he'd never leave on a free. He's at a contract next summer. There's been no progression on his new deal. So you'll either have to sell him or he will leave on a free. Now, he could sign a new contract and leave in four years, but he is not going to play his whole career at PSG. I'm not sure Mr. Al-Khalifi is, is fully aware of European employment law. And if he is, he's certainly not compliant with said law. Um, it will cost about $171 million to buy Erling Haaland from Dortmund this summer. That's AS, which is one of the papers that covers Real Madrid. So for Chelsea, like that's that's the fee. Let's not forget the massive signing on fee for him, the massive agent fee for Mino, and the fact that he wants between four and six hundred grand a week, which is between twenty and thirty million a year. So on a five year deal, that's anywhere from a hundred to one hundred and fifty million. Probably another fifty million between signing on fee for him and the agent fee for Mino. So there's you know, say on the high end, let's say it's 200 grand. Oh, sorry, 200 million on top of the fee. Now, Chelsea, you know, they want to offer Hudson a doy maybe on a couple of year loan or on a permanent deal. Well, what's his value? It's certainly not as much to Dortmund as it is to Chelsea. It's certainly not as much into the Bundesliga as it would be to the Premier League because the English tax doesn't exist. They don't look at English players and, and you know, get excited with themselves. They just see a player. Same thing with Tammy Abraham, who's also been linked. I've seen Chelsea fans say, oh, well, he's 40 million. He might be to Aston Villa or West Ham. He's not 40 million to Dortmund. He's maybe 25 million to Dortmund. You don't, you don't want him. Dortmund are smart enough to look at it and go, well, this guy wasn't in your squad for the FA Cup final. He's barely played under Tuchel. It's clear you don't want him anymore. He's worth 25 million. And the same thing goes for Callum Hudson-Odoi. Maybe he's 35, 40 million to a Premier League team. He's 20, 25 million to Dortmund. So you throw in the two of them, and let's say they're both 25 million. So you still have to pay 120 million on top of those two high-end talents that you've developed yourself. And then 50 million in agents' fees, and then this massive contract, which will obviously have bonuses and all kinds of kickers on top of it. You'd have to be out of your mind to do that deal. I understand that he's an incredible talent. I understand that Chelsea have unlimited resources, but I still think, like, wherever he goes, it's going to be a year or two, and then Mino will start banging the drum for a new contract and start trying to get him to Real Madrid or Barcelona, because that's what Mino does. Southampton have labelled Ward Prowse, James Ward-Prowse not for sale 
amid Aston Villa's interest in the Saints captain. You can obviously see why, but when you look at the situation for Southampton, especially if Ings goes, maybe it is better off to sell Ward-Prowse and try and rebuild, use the money to reinvest in the team. He's 26, he'll be 27 this year. He's not going to make too much noise, I wouldn't imagine. He came through the academy. He's there since he was nine years old. I don't imagine he'll be the type to kick up much of a fuss. But I do think he's an ambitious lad who will want to better himself. And Aston Villa, at the moment, are substantially better than Southampton. And they're heading in the right direction. Um, After missing out on Emi Buendia, Arsenal's main target remains bringing Martin Odegaard back from Real Madrid, either on a loan or a permanent move. I get the feeling that Carlo Ancelotti is going to want to keep him uh, and make him his new hammers. Um, Arsenal, sorry, Wolves are braced for a bid for Ruben Neves. I think that's a good move. Arsenal set to rival Manchester United for England and Atletico Madrid fullback Kieran Trippier. See, that's not a good move. That's one step forward signing Neves, one step back signing Trippier. He's 30. He's going to want huge wages. He's not all that good anyway. Just just go for Max Aarons. Just go and sign Max Aarons. That's all you need to do. Barcelona have are showing renewed, renewed interest in... Americ Laporte and may offer Spanish utility man Sergi Roberto as part of the deal. It, is that meant to improve the offer or that's bizarre. They already have Clement Langlet. They don't need a left-footed left side centre back. So I don't see that one as being true. Uh French striker Oli Giroud could still join AC Milan despite Chelsea announcing they had triggered a one-year contract extension last week. Um, I think this might be wishful thinking on certain people's part. Barcelona have decided not to make an increased offer to Ginny Wijnaldum after Paris Saint-Germain more than doubled the wages that Barca offered. The Netherlands midfielder is available on a three-year contract. Oh, sorry, he's available on a free and it's due to sign a three-year contract to PSG. I I think it's great business all around. Great business for PSG. He's a super intelligent player. He'll fit really, really well into their squad. He's a proven winner. He's a leader, which is something they do lack through their squad. So I think Ginny's a really good signing. And for him, get as much money as you can. Juventus could be set to try and hijack Barcelona's move from Memphis to Pi by offering a similar wage to Wijnaldum's receiving from Barca, not from PSG, rather. Um, It's a weird one. He'd fit really well at Juve. You'd imagine him and Dybala would be a lot of fun, especially with Chiesa and Kulisevsky. It's a lot of attacking talent. If they get Cristiano out the door, that would make sense to me. Marco Gruyic is set to spark a bidding war with Liverpool ready to cash in on the Serbian midfielder who's 25 this summer. I wouldn't imagine it'd be a bidding war. I'd say there's a couple of clubs interested. Uh, Diego Simeone is set to sign a two-year extension 
at Atletico Madrid and has asked the Spanish champions to sign Lautaro Martinez for him. Now, Inter need to sell. He's one of the players that they are apparently okay with selling as long as they get the right price. Lautaro would be great at Atleti, especially if if Simeone plays him and Joe Felix together. I think that could work really well. Really, really well. Um, it would depend on the shape. I think it's 4-3-3 is how that would work best. Those two either side of a, of a nine. Lots of pace and movement. Um, could be really good. Borussia Mönchengladbach will listen to offers of 40 million for Jonas Hoffman. What? 40 million? For Jonas Hoffman, you must be out of your goddamn minds. Chelsea, Tottenham and Atletico Madrid and Leicester are all credited with interest. 40 million. For squad player, behave yourselves. Real Betis are in advanced talks with Fabian Balbuena, who is set to come out of contract at Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, they, they lost um, Mandy, who wasn't very good, but was good for them. Balbuena would, would make sense on a free. Tottenham will confirm the appointment of Fabio Paratici this week, even after the collapse of their attempts to bring uh, Antonio Conte to the club. Uh, look, Paratici is a good a good spotter of talent as long as he is a firm hand on his shoulder, not letting him run away with things. And Lazio could appoint former Juventus and Chelsea boss Mauricio Sarri as their new manager this week. The thoughts of Sarri with Sergei Milinkovic-Savic and Luis Alberto and Chiro Mobile is, is something uh, quite appetising. So that could be quite quite a fun approach. Um, I think he'd do well there. That's it. That is the show for today. Thank you, as always, for listening. Apologies if I had uh, if you, there was issues with my mic. It was misbehaving throughout. So um, it'll be going in the bin quite soon. Uh, no, it won't. It won't. Um, right. That's it. That's the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Guy. Thank you to Fox On. See you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.